Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. This is Coffee with Cannon, my early in the day show. You know, folks, I, I don't know if you've been paying attention, and we weren't going to do another show on the whole Alec Baldwin Rust movie set shooting, the uh, tragic shooting of uh, Helena Hutchins. But a story came out uh, in Vanity Fair and also in uh, the New York Post, and some of the facts that we've um, basically hung our professional hats on uh, were, were disqualified by the a district attorney, the district attorney, Mary Carmack Altwies, uh, specifically to the fact that whether a firearm can go off without pulling the trigger. And uh, Adia Altwies, with two unqualified ballistics experts, two detectives with a, a gun that wasn't loaded, did a ballistics test inside her office and declared that pulling the hammer back, the gun could go off and the, the hammer could go forward without pulling the trigger. This test was totally unscientific. There was no live round in the gun. Uh, and it's sort of a bunch of ballistics experts, both Oz, John Pellucci, an NYPD retired sergeant from crime scene who owns a company called Crime Scene Investigation Experts, he unequivocally said that that gun could not go off and strike the, the um, firing pin striked around unless the trigger was pulled. So when she, this DA, uh, Ms. Carmack Altwies, does this unscientific test inside her office without a live round, I, I question the competency of, first of all, that test is ridiculous because it proves nothing. The other thing is, the only gun that matters, if it's operable, and if that in fact could have happened, is the gun in question that currently is in the um, custody of the FBI. And the ballistic test, all the ballistics tests, including operability, whether the gun uh, was uh, could have malfunctioned, all of those tests would and will have been conducted by the FBI. And that will determine whether or not there will, not that in itself, but that will determine or not whether there's going to be criminal charges. If you read the uh, Vanity Fair article, I just want to go over some of the things that they said. They, they broke it down to five different areas of basically incompetence on the set of the movie Rust. Number one was the hiring of the armorer. What they were willing to pay was so low that the best and the top uh, industry armorers didn't want to touch this film because they could see that it was a cut-rate film and that they were not willing to spend the money to hire top people. Therefore, safety, a lot of the safety aspects of this film uh, were going to be they were going to be cut, sort of. So they were going to take shortcuts. Let's put it that, that way. They were going to take shortcuts. So some of the top people in the industry wanted no part of working on this film. So what occurred was they hired an armorer, uh, Ms. Gutierrez Reed, who was inexperienced and really unqualified to be an armorer on this movie. She had one previous experience where she worked as an armorer on a film. So that was number one, that Vanity Fair, I'm quoting the article, okay? Uh, the introduction of the bullet. That was number two. How was a live round introduced into, say, the box 
or whatever they uh, wherever they stored their dummy rounds that were going to be used uh, in the scene. How was a live round introduced? And that in itself uh, needs a lot of investigation. There could be a lot of uh, incompetence to this. There's reports that uh, members of the crew uh, were shooting the same gun that was used in the scene, shooting beer cans and shooting bottles uh, as recently as the day before, possibly even the morning of. That's unconfirmed. So there's a lot of incompetence to go around here. Number three, loading the bullet. Who, this is the one of the biggest questions of culpability, um, who loaded that bullet or the round or the projectile, who loaded that into the gun? That, who put, basically the question is, who put a live round into that firearm? Huge, huge question, too. Also uh, will determine criminality, whether or not there's going to be criminality in this case. Um, then let's go forward a little further. Uh, lacks on set safety inspection. Who was in charge of the safety inspections on this set? And Vanity Fair's inspection uh, investigation, not that they're the end of all. The end of all will be the Santa Fe police detectives and the FBI, who was conducting, who was making sure that that film set was safe? Again, cutting costs uh, can make some of the things that are cut have to do with safety. And that apparently uh, happened here. Um, how about Alec Baldwin? Was he trained in firearm safety? Apparently not, because he felt that it was okay when someone said, cold gun, that he just took it that that gun was safe. And all of my training on the police department, we are taught ad nauseum at the range when we're, when we're completed our firing of our qualifications, we're told to do a physical and a visual inspection of the firearm to make sure that it's empty. Was Alec Baldwin ever taught that? Okay. The gun goes off. The big that's number five, according to Vanity Fair. How did the gun go off? Did Alec pull the trigger? He swears he didn't. Uh, we we testified or we sort of proved that the gun could not go off unless the trigger was pulled. I'm gonna go back to the first episode that we did on this case with crime scene expert, retired NYPD sergeant, uh, John Pellucci. And I'm going to play a little bit of his um, of his demonstration he does with a firearm that's very very similar to the firearm that was used on the movie uh, on the movie Rust. Uh, so let's see what this looks like here. Thank you very much, as Elvis would say. So for essentially, first of all, uh, what we want to start with is operability. There's a distinction that needs to be made between an accidental discharge, which is nomenclature people use all the time and uh, unintentional firing, right? An accident is an accident. It means that you have a defective firearm, right? So that's an accidental discharge versus an unintentional firing where you have a fully functioning weapon that you just, it's operator error, you mishandle it. So we're dealing with revolvers. Let me first start with a cartridge, right? So this is a cartridge 
in this hand right here. This is a cartridge, it's not a bullet. So a cartridge has four components. You have the bullet, you have the cartridge case. On the bottom, you have the primer, which is impact sensitive, that little circle in the middle there, right? And then you have the powder that's inside. So now, the only way you're gonna discharge a firearm, and we're talking about a firearm that takes a conventional cartridge, not like a musket or something like that. The only way it's gonna discharge is if there's impact to this primer, and then that initiates the powder burning and causes the bullet to be forced out of the muzzle of the firearm, right? So here we have a primer, right? You see there's no, see that circle in the middle there, right? And here's another primer, this one's been fired. So you see there's a ding in the middle of it, right? That's from the firing pin striking it, okay? And that's the only way this firearm is gonna discharge is if, if the firing pin strikes it. So if you have a fully functioning firearm, this is a revolver. This is a single and double action revolver, okay? Always before you do anything, demonstration or otherwise, you check and you make sure that it's not loaded. I can see this is not loaded, okay? This is called a cylinder, right? Within the cylinder, you have chambers, right? So you can put a cartridge in each one of these chambers, right? One of the first things I noticed when I read, I read a couple articles, I haven't been following this thing too closely, but uh, that they call this a drum, right? And, and then there's a loading gate, they call it a hatch. So you, you're supposed to be an armor on the set, like an armor and a gunsmith. Uh, an armor essentially can take a gun apart and replace parts and put it all back together. In order to do that, you kind of know, need to know what the parts are called. So they're telling me that they don't know what the parts are called when they call this a drum. Right. So this is a double action revolver. The reason it's double action, it's actually single and double action. When I pull the trigger, right, I pull the trigger, see the hammer goes back, right, and then it drops. Two things happen. I pull the trigger, hammer goes back, hammer drops. That's two things. That's double action. I can also fire this in single action where I pull the hammer back and then pull the trigger. Notice what happens to the trigger when I pull the hammer back. The trigger goes back. It's much more sensitive in single action. Single action is very sensitive. So I pull the trigger and the hammer drops. Now, if we look at this part of the firearm right here, this is called the firing pin aperture. Look at that hole right there. Okay, I'll come in from this side. Everything's reversed. So I'm kind of going backwards here. See that hole? That's the firing pin aperture, right? Now I have to hold this cylinder release. You don't see any, watch, when I pull the trigger, see the firing pin coming through that hole? Okay, firing pin comes through the hole, it strikes the primer on the cartridge, and a shot's fired. That's how it works, right? I could, I could do a double action. I gotta hold this thing back. Okay, you see, my, see the firing pin coming through the aperture, striking the primer, right? I can take this thing and pull it halfway back all day long. Do you see the firing pin? No. When I pull the, when I pull the, uh, sorry, when I pull the uh, hammer back, now you see the firing pin. Okay. These guns are designed to be safe so that even idiots can handle them, right? This is a single action. This is what they're dealing with. So this is a more modern, this is a more modern revolver, right? This one here is. This is the kind of thing that you know we used to carry on patrol if you're a dinosaur. 
right? John, even though even though this is not a 45 caliber like was used in a movie, this is a replica gun similar in style. It's a 22 caliber, but it's yes. an old time gun. And it's for your purposes of this demonstration, it's a single action revolver, and you can do the demonstration, and it 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 operates exactly like the 45 does, correct? Exactly, yeah. I mean, there might be a couple differences in terms of a firing pin and stuff like that, but the whole thing is this gun is actually the, the serial number comes back as a peacemaker, right? And the peacemaker is the old Col Colts, like that Wyatt Earp used to carry and stuff like that. So this isn't even a replica. This is just a 1975 version of one of those firearms, right? So now the way these are loaded, you see this is called a loading gate, right? The cartridges have to be loaded one at a time. See how the cylinder is locked, right? I can't turn this to load or unload. The only way to do that is to put it in this half cocked position, right? This is fully cocked. This is half cocked. Once I half cock it like that, I can turn this cylinder, it's not a drum, it's a cylinder, to each individual chamber, right? And I can hit this ejector rod, see the ejector rod coming out, and I can eject uh, discharge cartridge cases, right? And then I can go to the next one and the next one. That's why you see like in the old Westerns, you know, when they're, when they're you know, uh, emptying out the gun after they get into a fire, you know, into a firefight, right? So you do it one at a time. Same thing with loading it. It's loaded one at a time. Right, loaded one at a time. Okay, and the way you do that is with this half cock safety, right? So now, you remember how I was able on this uh, revolver, I can kind of pull the the hammer back halfway or most of the way, and we still don't see the firing pin come through the aperture, right? Remember we saw that. This is a totally different story because I need this half cock to turn the cylinder, right, to do my loading and unloading, that's that's a built-in mechanism to these old-time single-action uh, revolvers. And that's what they were using on the set. So now when I pull the, I pull the uh, hammer all the way back, the only way this hammer is going forward is by me pulling the trigger. That's it. Right? If I pull it halfway back, now I'm in the half cock mode. Right? It's not going to go past that half cock mode. So you're never going to have enough force on this hammer to activate the firing pin to strike your cartridge to cause a, a discharge. So, John, in essence, what we're trying to ask, and that was an outstanding demonstration is that Alec Baldwin's story is totally a lie because there is no way, minus pulling that trigger, that that, that uh, firing pin can go forward. Uh, even he's claiming he pulled it back and it, it he let it go and it fired. That's yeah. not happening. Well, here, here's the thing. I, I have a little more time than I had talked about. Folks, what I was trying to show there, and someone asked in the chat, was this a repeat? I played uh, John Pellucci's expert uh, ballistics analysis because apparently the district attorney in Santa Fe, as I repeated early on, she did some kind of uh, pseudo ballistics test 
in her office that was totally unscientific. I, I question competence, why she would do that. This is from um, Vanity Fair. I'm going to read this verbatim from Vanity Fair. Uh, they did a little interview, and I'm going to put a little photo on the screen. Um, they did a, a, um, a little analysis, and they said, Baldwin says that he merely pulled back the hammer on the gun. FBI analysis of the weapon will determine functionality as well as whether mechanical failures might have caused it to go off. But in the meantime, ADA Carmack, excuse me, District Attorney Carmack Altuis and her investigative team did an unofficial test of their own. One of the investigators in my office happens to be a very old type revolver, happens to have a very old type revolver, and so he brought it and my request so that we could look at it and see if that was at all possible, she says. They cleared a room in uh, the office and two investigators inspected the gun, the one who had supplied it, then a second officer who verified that it was empty. Then they visually showed me, says Carmack Altwees, you can pull the hammer back without actually pulling the trigger and without actually locking it. So you pull it back partway, it doesn't lock, and then if you let it go, the firing pin can hit the primer of the bullet. How does she know that? How does she know that without having a live round in the gun and without actually testing it, testing to see if, in fact, the gun went off when when it was pulled back? Because according to our test, he could pull it for, uh, back, a, a, like I say, a half inch, an eighth inch, and let it go forward, and it would not hit the primer. That was the demonstration he did with the aperture where you could not see the firing pin come through the hole of the aperture. So I don't know how she and two detectives who are not ballistics experts did this demonstration and she's declaring, and why would you put that out there? If she's going to prosecute someone for criminal negligence or for manslaughter or criminally negligent homicide, why is she putting this out to Vanity Fair? I just, I don't get that. I just do not get that. You're the prosecutor. You're the district attorney. You should be closed-lipped. Why are you doing interviews? This is something that Alec Baldwin did. And many people, many people did. There was other ballistics experts. I'm going to show another ballistics expert that CNN put on, and uh, he he was actually he actually works in the industry. So let's let's see what he has to say about this, and uh, we'll, we'll be a judge of it from here. You know, let's see what he has to say. Well, there were. You know, there was enough blame to go around that Alec certainly knows that he has partial responsibility in this. Uh, if he, he's not the one who brought live ammo on the set, he is the one who pointed the gun at her and he is the one who pressed the trigger. Uh, and I can't imagine being in that position and not feeling some sense of guilt and remorse. And and his trying to steer the conversation to you know, where did the ammo come from? You know, it's not that's not his job. He was asked, you know, what's the actor's job? Well, the actor's not, job is not to try to determine what the direction of the investigation is by telling people, this is the one thing I want you to focus on. You know, there were many factors and he was partially responsible. So the gun, and this is one of the big headlines from this interview, Alec Baldwin made the claim that he never pulled the trigger, that what he did was he pulled the hammer back and then released it. Explain okay, well, to us exactly explain, what happened. Okay, explain that. to me what he's claiming and how plausible that is. Okay, so not plausible. 
on a single action revolver, when you pull the hammer back, which is an intentional act, click, 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 click. Now the hammer is set. When you pull the hammer back and let go, as you can see, I'm not holding this, you know, the hammer doesn't go anywhere. When you press the trigger, which is, I'm gonna do it with this finger so you can see what a minute act that is. It takes very little to press the trigger there. So option one, you know, he pressed the trigger, but it was such a minor press that, that, it, that he wasn't aware that he had, you know, ordered that signal from his brain. Or option B, he's holding the gun with the trigger depressed. Now, on this gun, it doesn't matter which order you go in. You can either cock the gun and you can fire it with the trigger, or you can press the gun, the trigger and then cock the gun. And if you release it at this point, it falls and the gun fires. So if as he is cross drawing, his finger is on the trigger, which he may have interpreted as just resting on the trigger, but with a one millimeter pull, that would be sufficient. Now he pulls the hammer back and then releases it. He doesn't have to press the trigger again if he's already got pressure on it in order for the gun to fire. And I think that's really a, a key point in this in this matter. Two, two other possibilities that I have seen raised and everyone who raises them say almost minuscule chance that it's that it could be. Number one, he didn't pull the hammer back to the point it clipped. It clicked any possibility of doing that and, and discharging a bullet. Uh, no, the, 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 there are detents that catch the hammer, you know, at each point in the way I could let go at any point and the, the, the firing pin never will impact uh, a casing. And then the last possibility is, is that somehow the gun itself was flawed so that the mechanism that would cause it to click, as you really very, very clearly pointed out to us, somehow didn't work. There was no click there and that somehow there was nothing to prevent the hammer from going in. Any possibility of that? Only an investigation that examines the interior parts of the gun could reveal that. But unlikely in your experience. Very unlikely. I've never seen it happen. So, folks, there you have it. Two separate ballistics expert experts showed how basically the, the trigger had to be pulled. So I don't know what this district attorney is doing. And, folks, I just want to make it clear. I, I in no way feel or believe that Alec Baldwin did this intentionally. But there's other ways to be charged criminally. You know, uh, criminal culpability, uh, culpability, there's four ways. Recklessly, intentionally, criminally, negligent, and knowingly. All right? So is this reckless? That has yet to be determined. Uh, did he do this intentionally? I don't think so. Is there criminal negligence? Very possibly. Knowingly? Well, it was. it appears, it appears... Uh, to be an accident. Uh, but I don't understand why the district attorney in this case would do this in-office test that has no scientific um, no scientific basis whatsoever. If they were going to do a, a correct test, they should be in a ballistics lab with the ballistics tank where you would fire the actual live round into. Then you could determine, oh, look, we pulled it back and it hit the firing pin. Other than that, you can't say that. How could these three say that? Two detectives, again, not ballistics experts, and, and a district attorney. How do they do a test like this? Ridiculous. Folks, this is police off the cuff, real crime stories. 
I do these afternoon shows sometimes, Coffee with Cannon. Uh, anyone in the um, that's in the chat, if you're not subscribed, please go on our YouTube, hit that subscribe button. And if you want to support us, we have a Patreon. We have three different levels to that Patreon. You can pay a monthly amount. We also have a YouTube membership uh, where you could become part of the Police Off the Cuff family. And you see any of the folks that are in the chat that have the green font, they are part of the Police Off the Cuff YouTube family. And we appreciate all you guys that do subscribe to us. I have actually, I, I, I have some three shows coming up uh, that are that are amazing. And um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you the show that, uh, I'll show you the flyer for the show we're doing tonight. Right here is a flyer on the screen, and the, the young man in the middle and to the left, his name is Eric Schubert. He's 20 years old, and he happens to be a genealogical expert. He just helped to solve a 58-year-old homicide of a 9-year-old girl who was murdered and raped. Based on his work and utilizing the, the DNA, they were able to identify a perpetrator. Just unbelievable. I don't know if you guys follow genealogy. It's the newest science that there is. And it's uh, done some amazing things nationally and internationally in identifying uh, the perpetrators involved in cold cases. And we'll go into a deeper dive on that tonight. And then on Tuesday night, we're going to take a look. Michelle McPhee, the author of uh, numerous, I believe, eight novels, including Mayhem, which is about the Boston Marathon uh, bombing. She's an excellent investigative reporter. We're going to do a little dive into Prince Andrew uh, that involves uh, the Jeffrey Epstein case and the fact that the girl to the right there in the photo, uh, that he, uh, her name is Virginia Jeffrey, and he had sex with her when she was underage, and he was talking about resolutely fighting this to the end. All of a sudden, he's paying her millions of dollars or millions of pounds accordingly. Um, so that's uh, that's on Tuesday night. Wednesday night. We're going to dive into it again with comic, actress, podcaster, and radio talk show host, Chrissy Mayer. And she's a, a little bit different than most comics and most actresses and most podcasters. She happens to be a conservative. And we're going to talk about the attempted canceling of Joe Rogan and the Joe Rogan podcast by some of our um Music people, Neil Young, Joni Mitchell, CSN. And we're, we're going to not take a deep dive. We're going to talk about that and uh, talk about cancel culture and then get into talking about crime in New York City. So that's coming up Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. So, guys, with this with this case, it's just um, – it's not – the big thing is that some people are complaining about also is that is this important to charge this case criminally or is the civil case more important uh obviously the civil case is very important because the family of helena hutchins has to be compensated for her loss of life just absolutely horrendous the incompetence on this set and uh we had, we had an attorney who was on news nation the other night was talking about this i'm going to play a little bit of that and um We'll talk. She's going to talk about discovery and some of those things in regards to this case. And um, 
Here we go. Complicates things at this moment for prosecutors as they move forward. I think it complicates things for Alec Baldwin as they move forward, because what is happening now is they are trying to get the suit started, which means they will try to go through a discovery process, which is very hard to do when people are under criminal investigation. That's when people start taking the Fifth Amendment and things are complicated because all of that discovery goes back to the prosecutors. Basically, the civil case starts to help the criminal case. But isn't he already under investigation? Hasn't that already started? Oh, he's definitely under investigation. This is just like another one coming at him because the criminal investigators are doing their part. And as you can see, the civil attorneys are doing everything in their power to do a thorough investigation as well, including this reenactment and all of the emails and, and other correspondence that they're showing. So all this is, is basically bolstering kind of the investigation as a whole. And the civil attorneys really, I mean, they will want him prosecuted uh, because that helps their case. So in any way possible that they can, they will help the criminal investigators. But without having all of the evidence and, and the details of what happened that day. A lot of it is hearsay. None of it is fact yet, according to investigators. How can they put together that reenactment? How accurate can it be? You know, we don't know, right? So I think they have done a thorough investigation from the civil side. It looks like they have witnesses that have come forward and that's how they are doing the reenactment. This reenactment sends a very strong message to Alec Baldwin and the producers named and the producers of Rust, that they are being thorough, they are dotting their I's, they are crossing their T's, and they are coming at them and sending very powerful messages. Well, let me talk to you about the strategy from the Baldwin team, at least as it appears on the surface. I want to pull up this statement uh, released to Variety and just a portion of what Alec Baldwin's team said, and it really points to him shifting blame uh, to others involved. It said actors should be able to rely on armorers and prop department professionals, as well as assistant directors, rather than deciding on their own when a gun is safe to use. So is that a strong legal defense at this point? So folks, I, I find that with, um, you know, that Alec Baldwin refuses to accept any responsibility. I find that to be a very cowardly trait of his. Um, several actors, uh, uh, George Clooney included, said it's the actor's job after he's handed the gun by the armorer to inspect the gun to make sure that it's safe, to do a, a visual and a physical inspection of that gun. Like we talk about all the time, people that, have, uh, that are experienced in firearms, they always talk about a visual and the physical inspection of that firearm. And there's so much negligence on this set that, you know, potentially there could be, there could be charges. And don't forget, Alec Baldwin, besides being the star of this movie, was also a producer. So what type of responsibility, what type of liability does that, uh, that give to him uh, as far as that goes? Uh, let, let, let's see what Alec Baldwin had to say to ABC. And again, we've watched this before, but this more or less gives you his uh, point of view, how he's really not taking any responsibility for his actions. Uh, I'm going to play a little bit of this. Victims here. And the second thing is, is that all of what happened on that day leading up to this event 
was precipitated on one idea, and that is that Helena and I had something profound in common. And that is we both assumed the gun was empty, other than those you know, uh, dummy rounds. I wanna get into more detail on the day in a minute, but let's take a step back. What was it that drew you to this project in the first place, to Rust? I'd worked on a until Joel said to me, I got her, she was fantastic. Helena Hutchins, the talented cinematographer praised by many in the industry, was a trailblazer in the field. All right, most of that was fluff. I wanted to get to the point where Alec, uh, basically in the, in the part of this, these interviews, he took no responsibility. He was asked if he felt any guilt in regards to what occurred, and he said he absolutely had no guilt whatsoever. Uh, he had sorrow, but he had no guilt. So basically he was trying to clear himself from all criminal liability. And um, as we had spoken about on previous uh, episodes of this show, I believe we covered this uh, uh, numerous, numerous times. We we, we we claimed also that George um, Snuffleupagus, who I call him, asked no difficult questions. It was this whole interview, to me, to me, in my opinion, was a fluff job. And it was designed to... Um, to clear Alec of all his charges and to act as almost like an infomercial for him. That's my opinion. All right. Uh, many of you guys out there have your own opinions about this. I'm a little concerned that politics could, could come in the way of fairness in regards to the law, how the law is applied. I just, I don't understand why this, again, why this district attorney did this pseudo test in her office that has no scientific basis whatsoever and then claim that, oh, the gun can go off without pulling that trigger. Uh, I don't know how she could do that. And it's to put that out there in the public domain, I, I, I find that uh, distressing, a little bit distressing. Folks, this is Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. This is Coffee with Cannon during the afternoon here. We got a show tonight at 9 p.m. Uh, I'm just going to review the five things that Vanity Fair was were looking at, and they said is a, a major thing in in this case, as far as the potential for criminal prosecution. Number one was the hiring of the armorer. We discussed that earlier. She was very inexperienced. Other armorers would not work on this film because there was no money. There was a cut rate uh, amount to pay the armor. Therefore, the experienced armorers wanted no part of it. And they also knew, the armorer who they interviewed, knew that if they did cut rate, that was going to cut safety precautions on this movie also. Number two, introduction of the bullet. How was the bullet introduced? Where were the dummy rounds stored? What, how did a live round get in there? Number three, loading the bullet. Who put that bullet in the gun? That's a huge question. Are they going to swab uh, the, the round for to see the casing, actually, the side, the casing of the, of the round? to identify DNA on it? Does that, and does that slam dunk wise identify who put it in? The person could have touched it and not actually put it in the gun. Uh, lacks on set safety inspection. They, they said that's, that's a given that absolutely happened. And number five, the gun goes off. And uh, those are the things that they'll be looking at in terms of whether or not um, anyone gets charged in this, you know, anyone gets, uh, anyone gets criminally charged, that, that those are going to be some of the things that are going to determine this. Uh, so it's very, you know, it's a very uh, 
slippery slope. And they were talking again, they were talking about before the criminal case versus the civil case. I don't believe anyone, even if anyone is charged criminally in this case, I do not believe anyone would go to prison for this. Again, I think it's a tragic accident, but that can also be viewed as criminal because we mentioned, you know, culpable mental states of mind, recklessly, criminally negligent, knowingly and intentionally. So someone or, or many could be charged for this. And that's what we're going to be looking at. One of the reasons I covered this, I wasn't going to cover this case anymore until the district attorney um, came out with uh, Brent Montgomery. The production company might get sued for unsafe working conditions like Bruce Lee uh, on, on that set, uh, on the set shooting. Yes, that absolutely could happen. Um, a number of things. We can't predict anything until the investigation is completed. And I said I wasn't going to cover this case again until the uh, determination came on whether or not there would be criminal charges. But when this Vanity Fair article came out and it was 100 degrees different than what we had uh, determined through talking to a ballistics expert and another ballistics expert that spoke on CNN, I felt that uh, we had to cover this. And that's why I covered it. And uh, guys, I, I'm, I'm going to see you tonight, I think at 9 p.m. I want to thank everyone that tuned in this afternoon for Coffee with Cannon. Again, Tonight, we're going to have that young genealogist on. Uh, on the screen, you can see the flyer. Oh, we also have Lisa Lockwood, who is a retired, uh, she's a retired police officer SWAT. She's a, a talking expert on a lot of criminal justice shows on TV. So she's also going to be on the show joining us tonight. So folks, again, thank you so much for tuning in. This is Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories slash Coffee with Cannon. Have a great day and be safe. And hopefully I'll see you tonight at 9. One episode, just ain't enough.